Welcome. This is Bleacher Blums, a sports podcast for baseball fans. Now here's David Tuttle and Astros master of banter, Blummer. Hey, welcome into the Bleachers. I am Jeff Blum, your co-host of the Bleacher Blums podcast. I have been in the major leagues playing as a player for 14 years for six different teams, and I am now in my 10th season as the color commentator for the Houston Astros. Of course, my good buddy and co-host on this show is David Tuttle. He played at Santa Clara University. He was an All-American in every sense of the word, also played for Team USA and got as high as AAA in minor league baseball, but just never got the break to get into the big leagues. And we like to enjoy our time on this podcast talking about sports, about family, pretty much about anything that comes into our minds, mostly about baseball, of which we have a ton of experience. And uh, we keep up to date. We have some old school ideas. We have some new school ideas. We have interviews every once in a while. And I think that's what's going to make this week's podcast that much more unique is the fact that we do have lives And unfortunately, or fortunately for David, uh, but unfortunately for me, he is in Hawaii right now. So he is going to record a segment separately on this podcast of Bleacher Blums. I'm going to record a segment that you're listening to right now. Hopefully it goes well enough because we do not want to miss a week with our fans. You guys have been great. I need you guys to subscribe, rate, review, keep pushing us up the charts. You've done a very good job, and we love our loyal following of Bleacher Blums uh, fans that are out in the bleachers with us every week. And this being a unique week, Tuttle out there in Hawaii enjoying his time with his family. I am currently in the vicinity of Southern Oklahoma as the Astros take on the Texas Rangers. And uh, What's on Tap is brought to you by St. Arnold. We'll get that out of the way real quick. Uh, we're gonna have a, I'm going to have a couple of topics on broadcasting, and I've got something in the world of tennis. It just kind of hit me watching the Wimbledon a couple of weeks ago and trying to understand what the heck is going on in tennis and why it's so appealing. Uh, it, it, just stay tuned for that. That's going to be interesting. Uh, obviously, Tuttle is going to have his segment. He's got a couple of topics that he wants to bring up. And then, of course, this week is a special week because we actually had the opportunity to talk to Ben Verlander. Yes, he's the brother of Justin Verlander, but this guy is creating his own path and his own name in the game of baseball. He is a guy who absolutely loves the game of baseball. He's been a great conversation and a, and a and great conversation off the field, but also a, a good guy to talk to in and around the game. He's a guy that's a little more new school. His podcast is called Flipping Bats. You can get to him at Ben Verlander. On Twitter, he is hyperactive on social media, does a great job. So we will have a chance to talk to him a little bit about his brother, how astonishing his season is as far as him coming back from Tommy John surgery. We'll talk about the state of the game, how he feels about the game of baseball. And if you do remember, we had a little bit of an issue with an umpire out there in Kansas City. He's got some interesting insight into that, and I like his perspective on things. So make sure you tune in and stay tuned in to this Bleacher Blums podcast, where we will have the opportunity to to interview Ben Verlander. And trust me, it will all come together. I know this is a little more unique. You're going to hear my voice quite a bit. Hopefully you hear Tuttle's voice quite a bit. But we are trying to put this thing together and cut and paste. So I give our, our producer, Mark Ramos, a great deal of credit. He's also the guy that is at Ram Shirts, who does those great shirts. You know, that one quote I had about uh, Jose Altuve when he was getting booed and he took the first pitch out in DC. And I just said, yeah, you know what? Just keep booing because all it seems to do is motivate these guys on the road. So if you want some good blumisms, blummerisms, 
I'm not sure what that is, but if you want some good Blummerisms or some good quality t-shirts with some fun quotes on it, make sure you go to at uh, Ram Shirts on Twitter. Um, there's a link in his bio to go out there and buy some shirts. You can also go to bleacherblums.com and check out the swag there and also check up on archives and go back and listen to some podcasts. And you can also go to at Bleacher Blums on Twitter and on Instagram. We've been doing leadoff lyrics, and I know that uh, some fans have been doing a very good job of reaching out as far as leadoff lyrics is concerned. And this week, Karen did a very good job, and I want to make sure I get this right, at Karen Adams. She got Tuttle's Song of the Week is Far Behind by Candlebox. She loves that song and that has no idea what Blummer's song is. And I finally stumped the Twitter crowd and the Bleacher Blums family. Last week's leadoff lyrics, I actually went with, and I was kind of feeling it because I was talking about Jordan Alvarez and Kyle Tucker during our broadcast at the time. And I was saying, you know, Tucker and uh, Jordan Alvarez back-to-back in the lineup kind of gives me the idea that they could be damage incorporated. And it kind of took off a little bit. So I actually legit said the lyrics of damage incorporated by Metallica. So I appreciate Karen reaching out and all those fans that do reach out, but Karen was the initial response that got us going as far as leadoff lyrics is concerned. And this week, we're going to take a bit of a left turn when I do my leadoff lyrics. I'm not sure what Tuttle's going to do. I'll have to listen to this week's podcast and see if I can guess what he did while he's out there in Hawaii. Maybe it's a little reggae. Maybe it's a little Hawaiian tune. I'm not sure. But I know that for me personally, I've been heavy on the rock situation, but I'm going to take a bit of a left turn and I'm going to go in the genre of country because I have become a little more accustomed since moving down here into Houston and talking about country music. And this is a band that I actually heard at the Houston Rodeo, maybe back in 2017, 18. And some of their songs were catchy, a lot of fun to sing to, easy listen for me as far as country is concerned. So I'm going to give it to you as good as I can right now. So in the genre of country, we've got this. Right now, we both know we're Marina Del Rey, plane's going to fly away. And you'll be on it. And by this time tomorrow, I'll be singing yesterday. The sunshine's going to fade, and we can't stop it. So before we turn in, I can't make you love me. My leadoff lyrics last week were guest. Uh, Jeff's were not, which uh, I guess that's the first stumping that we've had of the audience, uh, at least for our our first responder um, into the contest. I am going to deviate, I guess, from the norm a little bit. Uh, as Jeff implied, and uh, he went country, and I'm going to kind of go a little bit off track here, but I'm sure this is a popular enough song that everyone's going to get it. So here it goes. Me, 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 me. Can anybody pass me a beer? And I'm going to keep playing this music that you hear. And if you know the song, and come and sing along with me. That's all you get. I'm here on vacation. That's kind of an uh, island tune, maybe more of a vacation tune. So uh, hopefully you can grab that, um, grab that one and uh, add it to Blums and see if you guys can't get back back at us at Bleacher Blums uh, on Twitter with your responses. First one in, we'll uh, get a mention on the podcast. And again, if you know who those lyrics are, make sure that you go to at Bleacher Blums tell us who you think sings that song and what song actually it is. And I hope that you enjoyed that one. We appreciate you guys reaching out 
listening to Bleacher Blums and sharing it with your friends and families. And of course, the interaction is always good for us as far as what we do here on the in the bleachers, which is an absolute blast. So I'm going to get, I'm going to cut to the chase. We're just going to get to it right now because we've got a great interview with Ben Verlander coming up a little bit later. And I know that you're probably getting a little exhausted, but I've got a couple of talk topics that I want to talk about. And it has to do with broadcasting. And I know normally I try and be a little more uh, you know, milk toast, middle of the road, appreciative, respectful of what national broadcasts are doing. And because I know their job is tough. And I actually had a chance to talk to uh, a couple of national play-by-play guys. And it was kind of interesting. You know, they came to me and said, you're, you know, it's great that you get to work with a team. And I was like, what are you talking about? Of course, it's great working with a team and especially the Houston Astros as well as they've gone. But he said, that every time you do a broadcast, you know at least one fan base is going to love you. And I was like, yeah, we were Astro broadcasters. And he goes, yeah, when you do a national broadcast, you have to play both sides. And usually both sides end up hating you because you're saying something that they don't want to hear about their team or maybe it's a bad opinion. And they just get fired up. Obviously, social media goes rampant. And they say, oh, I hate you, I hate you. And you get it from both sides. You do a broadcast and you don't have that one side that is like, wow, you guys are great. You're awesome. I love it. Love the way you broadcast for our team. And it kind of made me think about it a little bit and have a little more respect for those guys. So that's kind of why I try to be a little more uh, middle of the road or respectful of what they're going out there and doing because they are trying to bring the game nationally, which I actually would appreciate if they were a little more enthusiastic about the game itself, not necessarily a team. But uh, I understand where the vitriol can come from both sides when you're doing a national broadcast. That being said, how how as a national broadcaster can you make derogatory or borderline tone deaf comments and get away with it. And I don't mean to pick on Jim Cott, but this is, you know, a couple that have jumped out to me. I know that uh, Jack Morris has had his issues with the Detroit Tigers saying something about Shohei Otani in in an accent that was inappropriate. But Jim Cott for me has had it a couple of times now. He had a comment about uh, Yoan Moncada for the Chicago White Sox when they were doing a game nationally, uh, saying something about him, if, you know, if he had a team full of Makatas out in the in the field. I don't understand that reference, but I know it's outdated and terrible. But there was one recently with Nestor Cortez having the year that he is, and he should be celebrated because he's one of the few guys that doesn't throw 95 plus with wicked movement out of the zone. He's just created uh, different arm angles, different pitches, different shapes, and he's going out there and he's in the conversation for the American League Cy Young to start out the season. And I can't believe I heard this on air, but Jim Cott said Nestor the molester, and I was taken aback. I I get in trouble for saying, you know, Crawford Bach the shit out of something, and he can go out there and say that and still keep his job, and it just kind of made me think a little bit, and I'll keep this brief because I know uh, that we want to get to uh, some of the other segments, but how does that continue to play? How does that continue to push the game of baseball? How does that bring in viewers? That's my question. I I love the game of baseball. I try to broadcast with an enthusiasm that encourages people not just to listen, but to play and encourage their children to go out there and play the game and emulate some of these guys on the field that do an incredible job. 
And that kind of commentary puts all of us in a bad light. And I just can't stand it. And I wish it would stop. I wish that there would be limits on what these guys were able to say, no matter what they apologized for or what they meant or what they didn't mean. But as far as a national broadcast is concerned, there needs to be a little more youth. There needs to be some more diversity. There needs to be a lot of enthusiasm. That is the thing that gets me. I want to hear more enthusiasm. I don't want the comments to overwhelm the game. I want the game to overwhelm the comments. Uh, and that's just how I feel. So it's kind of crazy that that stuff is allowed to go on. But uh, I'm hoping that someday it does evolve and get to a spot where we've got some national broadcasts that are a little more enthusiastic for both sides, both teams, but more enthusiastic for the game of baseball itself. It's interesting because we've had conversations about that on this podcast before. Um, Jim Cott said some things this past week that, uh, got him in some hot water. And it's interesting because we have kind of pushed for having some local broadcast teams do the, uh, playoff games and, or some of the, uh, the high level games towards the end of the year, instead of having just national broadcasters, uh, jump in, uh, as Blummer mentioned, he had talked to somebody that said, Hey, you have it. I don't know if easy is the right word, but you have have it better because at least you have a fan base in your corner. And I, I understand that argument. Like, Hey, if you're the Astros broadcaster, then, you know, the Astros are, I don't know whether they're on your side, but you support the team you're involved. Um, there are many things that you can, uh, you know, like politics, right? You have 50% of the people on your side and 50, 50% of the people against you. If you're the Astros broadcaster, you certainly have a built in fan base. The national broadcaster was implying that they have no, uh, built-in fan base and they're upsetting people on both sides. But my counter to that would be you have to be yourself and you have to have some knowledge of the game and maybe you get some knowledge of other sides. But if you're you're broadcasting trying not to piss off people on both sides, you're going to sell yourself short. And I think that's where maybe there's a little more freedom having a team on your side. But I do think national broadcasts are missing the boat. National broadcasters are missing the boat um, when they're, uh, when they're trying to kind of hit it right down the middle, they need to be themselves. We've talked about that before extensively on this podcast, and they need to do, uh, probably a better job of understanding about both teams. We know that, um, the Dodger podcaster, Vin Scully was so good at that. He had stories on both sides there. There is a way to do it. Um, and there's a way to do it. Well, it's just, uh, a higher level skill. And I'm not sure most people put in time. The other thing I will say about what Jim Cott said, and if you've watched any of um, Joe Biden's speeches lately, um, you know, my mom's getting up there in age. I think she's 78, 79 now. Jim Cott's 83 years old. Our President Biden is 80. I don't know. I don't know any other nice way to say it. But we know that when you get to be that age, you're not as sharp as you used to be. And I just think that I don't know if this is in defense of Jim Cott or not, but I think he's kind of, he was so good on this week in baseball and those kind of games. He did the, you know, he did some national broadcasts for a long time, but that was when I was young. Now he's still doing it. And I think he's just too old, probably. I don't know if that's ageism or ageist, but I mean, we do, uh, you know, <laughs> retire at a certain age for a reason. So I think his biggest challenge, um, right now is just his age and his mental acuity. So I don't know if that's cutting edge or if that's uh, ageist, but I feel like once you get past the age of 80, you should probably not be, you know, broadcasting games, 
the politics thing is a whole nother can of worms. I'm not going to get into that, but I do think there's an age component to what Jim Cott said. And some of the other broadcasters have gotten themselves in hot water. Um, so I just think you can't, you can't play both sides. You have to be yourself. All right. Tennis. This one caught me a little off guard and I don't know why, but I was just on the road sitting in bed, you know, ESPN's on or sports center. I'm not sure what it was, but there were some, maybe it was uh, the fact that they were actually playing the Wimbledon. Uh, uh, what is it? The French, I think it was the Wimbledon, Wimbledon or the French open. I can't remember which one, but uh, they were talking about Rafael Nadal going for his 14th championship. And it just kind of triggered a little bit of a thought for me. It was the French Open. So Rafael Nadal is going, excuse me, uh, is going for his 14th French Open. I believe he won it. And it made me think, if you win anything 14 times, is it really a competition? I don't, it just, it just struck me. If, if there was a team in the last 25 years that won 14 championships in 30 years, would that be a competition? Would they just, you know, would they have just stockpiled? I don't want to take anything away from Nadal being a great player. And I'm sure that during those 14 championships that he had some stiff competition, but you got to be kidding me, man. What is the entertainment value of tennis when you have, when you know, who's going to win? I, I, it, it caught me off guard. I didn't enjoy it. I was like, why would I watch tennis if Rafael Nadal is going for his 14th championship? Is that some kind of record? Or is this poor guy that he's playing against just going to get obliterated while you know Nadal raises up the, the plate or the trophy and kisses it again for the 14th time? Uh, good for him. I mean, he's cementing his his legacy and he's cementing his uh, wallet, uh, probably lined with some good French money. But I just don't understand or see the value in watching a guy go out there and win 14 championships over the last, 15, you know, what, 20, 20, 30 years. I don't even know how old this guy is. And that gives you an idea how much I watch tennis. I appreciate the fact that he's a hyper good athlete. He's at the top of his game. He's got the longevity. He's got the consistency. He's got the ability to go out there and win those championships. But the fact that you've won 14, it just doesn't scream, wow, hyper-competitive uh, going out there and beating a lot of these guys. So that's just my opinion. Um, I just wanted to say that uh, what Jeff said about the tennis, uh, the French Open, I think it's interesting. And we could probably talk about this next time we get together, maybe next week. But there just seem to be eras with tennis players. and you know, baseball, just there's a lot more parity in baseball, meaning the superstars aren't that much better than the next guy in the clubhouse. NFL seems similarly that way. Those are also team games. But man, when you have uh, Djokovic, Federer, and Nadal winning every tournament for the last 20 years, um, it just seems like there's certain eras. I know Pete Sampras set the record for men's singles titles when he was around and he would dominate every event. Um, when I was growing up and I was really little, I actually played a little tennis, but that was the John McEnroe, Jimmy Connors, Bjorn Borg era. The three of them won every major, uh, tournament. And so it does seem like there isn't as much parity in tennis. If you're a fantastic tennis player and you go to all these tournaments, then one of those three guys, Jokovic, Federer, and Nadal is going to win it. And you mentioned the French open plumber, um, I mean, gosh, Nadal's won that 14 times. He's also known as, you know, a better clay court player. So the fact that there's clay there, um, you know, fits into his game better. But uh, it's an interesting thought, and it's something we could probably dive into. But um, 
yeah, it doesn't seem it. It seems like the playing field is slanted. Like walking into that tournament, if you lose, you're a failure because you're expected to win it and you won it so many times. So it's an interesting take, and uh, we'll have to explore that a little bit more. But for me, I just feel like there's eras in tennis, and you can look at the women's side the same way. Um, I mean, we know Serena Williams is one of the best athletes of all time, but she had a you know four or five year period there where she couldn't lose any tournaments. Um, but you know, this is the Djokovic Federer. Um, Nadal era, and it'll be interesting to see what the next era brings for tennis. I'm going to take a little break right now, uh, have a sip of Kauai coffee over here, and uh, we'll let our broadcasters uh, take a break and give us a word from our sponsors here on the Blue Wire Podcast Network. Um, I'll be right back. The best way to learn a language? Immersion. Living where the language is spoken and using it every day. But if that's not in the cards this year, you can still learn a language the second best way. And that's with Babbel. Be a better you in 2024 with Babbel, the science-backed language learning app that actually works. Don't pay hundreds of dollars for private tutors or waste hours on apps that don't really help you speak the language. Babbel's quick 10-minute lessons are handcrafted by over 200 language experts that help you start speaking a new language in as little as three weeks. Babbel's designed by real people for real conversations, and their tips and tools are approachable, accessible, rooted in real-life situations, and delivered with conversation-based teaching, so you're ready to practice what you've learned in the real world. Here's a special limited-time deal for our listeners. Right now, get up to 60% off your Babbel subscription at babbel.com slash bluewire. That's 60% off at babbel.com slash bluewire, spelled B-A-B-B-E-L dot com slash bluewire. Rules and restrictions apply. All right. Thank you to our sponsors from the Blue Wire podcasts and uh, all the sponsors that you know contribute to this show and give us the opportunity to come at you weekly. Got a great conversation with Ben Verlander coming up. He is a phenomenal human. He's got a lot of great insight in the game of baseball. Yes, everybody knows that he is the brother of Ben Verlander. He actually has some unique insight into what Justin is actually doing this season. So I hope you enjoy the conversation with Ben Verlander. All right, here we are, another episode of Bleacher Blums, and we are very lucky to have a special guest on here. His name is Ben Verlander, and I had to do some digging because everybody knows that you are related to Justin Verlander, but one thing we've got to tell everybody is that you are your own entity. You you did a great job playing at Old Dominion, just like your brother did. Uh, you got drafted a couple of times and eventually signed in 2013, I believe, in the 14th round by the Detroit Tigers. Uh, you had five seasons, played outfield, played pitcher, and uh, you had your own career. Tell us a little bit about Ben Verlander's, you know, uh, career in baseball, both collegiately and through the minor leagues, Ben. Yeah, you know, I went to uh, Old Dominion, and I went to be a two-way guy. Um, they were going to allow me to pitch and hit, which was a big reason I went there. And then, um, you know, my first two years, I did a little bit of both. I was very average at both, which... You know, I, there's nothing wrong with being average and playing D1 baseball. But I, I just, I, I felt like there was more. And after my sophomore year, my, my head coach told me to make a decision between one and the other because I wasn't going to get drafted as both. And uh, decided to hit one because um, I wanted to be my own person. And look, I, I love Justin more than anything. Um, but it was important to me to create my own path. Uh, and you know, he's nine years older than me. So no matter what I had done in my life to that point, it was people pointing at him saying, well, you know, you're just kind of following him. 
So I wanted to hit. I, one, I wanted to play every day. And two, I, I wanted to create my own path. And that year, I became an All-American, went really well. I uh, got drafted in the 14th round, like you said. Played five years professionally, made two All-Star games. Um, obviously, never made it uh, to where the end goal was, but uh, did did pretty well along the way as as an outfielder in the Tigers organization. And um, yeah, it was it was a blast, man. And I I, I love that, and I feel good about making the right decision heading into my junior year of college. I think that kind of helped shape my career along the way. Well, you have the experience playing in the game. Your brother has plenty of experience in the big leagues, but like you said, you're creating your own path. And I want to talk to you a little bit about that too, because it's kind of interesting. How did how did you create that path? You you did this on your own, getting into the media side of baseball. How'd you do that? Well, you know, it's never been easy, no matter whether it's playing or whatever it may be in life. Look, Verlander's very not you know it's a very unique last name so wherever you go you're going to be compared which i totally understand i just wanted to really focus on being my own person and really focus on what you know accomplishing things in my own right and whether people think that that that's the case or not i i find pride in doing that and i think just along the way i have to prove to more and more people that i have done it on my own and i think a big reason for that is yeah, you know, I ended up getting released by the Tigers after five years and knew that I wanted to stay in the game of baseball. I loved the game of baseball. And, you know, right after that is when when COVID hit. So I knew I wanted to get into this industry, but that kind of halted everything and then ended up coming out to work for the, the World Series watch party for Fox and hosted it with Nick Swisher, Tina Martinez and Rick Ankeel. And it went really well. Fox Fox said it was great and ended up signing me on full time. And, you know, along the way, you know, now that I do have the platform that I do, uh, it's just important to me to, uh, you know, I, I have this show now that I've had for a year and a half and it's it's been great to this point. And like, I, like I've said a couple of times now, it's not that, you know, I, I love Justin more than anything, but it's so important to me to create my own path. I haven't had Justin on my show yet. And, and the reason for that is, I want to be able to have something become successful and be able to say, yeah, I, I did this and it wasn't because of my last name. It wasn't because I brought my brother on my show and it blew up. It's because of the hard work that I put into it every single day. And uh, obviously, eventually the goal is, is, of course, I want to have Justin on at some point soon. But um, it, it's things like that along the way that just um, have really allowed me to create my own path. And I feel really good about that. So did you, when you were in school, did you study broadcasting? What made you get into that broadcasting side? And do you have any experience before you even started that and hosted that show for Fox? Yeah, so I was a, I majored in communications with a minor in nice. sports management. Um, so, and, you know, even while I was there, I, I would have told you I was majoring in baseball. because, you know, <laughs> As you know, the it just takes over your life. But in hindsight, it worked out pretty well that I majored and minored in that. Uh, I, I always knew I wanted to stay in baseball. I legitimately just love the game, and I always have. Even when Justin and I were growing up, I was the one watching baseball every single night. And, you know, obviously when he was playing, he was playing, but he wouldn't come home and watch the game and study the game like I would. Uh, I just loved the game of baseball so much. And even when I finished up, 
you know, it's easy to to fall out of love with the game when you make it to that high of a level and end up getting released and just on the doorstep. And then you see guys in the big leagues and it's easy to point fingers and say, well, I was better than that guy. Like, why? I I didn't want to do that. It's so easy to fall into that trap. And I did every once in a while. But at the end of the day, I just loved the game. I wanted to continue to stay in the game. I received a platform to do it. And you know, I just want to grow the game of baseball as best I possibly can. And, and that's the goal today. I feel the same way doing our broadcasts is I love the game of baseball. And actually the love for the game came back for me when I was able to sit in the booth and start to talk about it and engage with fans and really see that this game does bring a lot, not just to our lives, but can bring a lot to other people's lives. And I want to, how, how do you feel about the state of the game as it stands? Because I feel like in the last five years, it's it's evolved in some good ways. It's evolved in some bad ways, and it's kind of in an interesting spot. I feel like it's as popular as it as it ever has been. To be honest with you, with the social media, the streaming platforms, uh, you know, you've got Apple, Peacock, uh, Sunday Night Baseball. You've got all these entities trying to get their hands on it. How do you feel about the, the state of the game as it is right now? Yeah, I feel really good about it. Like you said, it's evolved in a lot of different ways, some good, some not. And and I feel like that's important. Baseball is a sport that forever is just it's feeders stuck in the mud and we're baseball, we're not changing. No rule changes, none of this, none of that. Put your head down, play the game the right way. And finally, over the course of the last few years, it feels like there's change happening that drastically needed to happen. I mean, baseball was behind on instant replay happening, behind on umpires announcing the replay, behind on rule changes. And, you know, as long as it does take a while to happen, but it seems like it is starting to happen. And that stuff's important, whether it works or not. I feel like it's important to keep up with the times and try things and evolve. I think that stuff will ultimately help the game on the field. Um, But what's really helping the game on the field is the guys out there playing it. I mean, having guys come in, uh, watching Ronald Acuna every night hit homers and do like the LeBron James celebrations and put it on his social media. Uh, It might sound silly, but that stuff is very important to growing the game of baseball. What Bregman does with his YouTube channel, um, you you can't speak enough about how important that is to growing the game because you look at other sports and that's what they do. You know, LeBron makes a sick dunk and then he posts it on his social media and then kids want to try to do that at the lower levels. And same with football, they do a touchdown celebration and then kids want to do that. Well, now you have these baseball players that are young and exciting and posting on their socials and doing all of this stuff and flipping their bats. And you go down and watch high school, even, you know, right now in the college leading to the college world series and in little league, you see these guys doing the same stuff. You see home run chains, you see celebrations, you see bat flips, you see exactly what those guys are doing in the big leagues and posting on their social medias. And that stuff is so important to growing the game of baseball. It is. Are you astonished at how good the pitching has been here in the last four or five years? I felt like maybe in the last decade, we've seen a handful of guys that could touch 100 miles an hour. And even when they did, it was it was a sporadic thing. It wasn't a consistent thing. But the way that pitching has evolved has been absolutely incredible with how many guys can get to 100, 102, 103. And then uh, everything is turbo with their slider and the spin. Your brother's got one of the best sliders in the game. And he kind of de- I feel like he kind of developed that over the last four or five years in an Astros uniform form, but speak a little bit to the evolution of pitching and how great pitching is right now. 
Well, Blummer, that's why I'm sitting here right now. It was those 92 mile an hour. <laughs> you and me both, man. I, I saw it coming, and I was like, I got to get out of here. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I was in college facing, you know, 90s, and was fine. Get the pro ball. The hundred was fine. The velo was fine. It was when I started seeing 92 mile an hour sliders. I'm like, I. Mm. But yeah. you're, you're right. It is. You know, it seemed like even when I was playing. So what? Five to five to ten years ago. It, things started to change, and as I progressed and as the years went on, every single bullpen, no matter the level I was at, every team had somebody throwing 100, at least one guy. And and then he'd come out of the bullpen, you'd look at your the scouting report as I'm going up to the plate, and it says, like, sits 98 to 101, slider 90 to 92. And I'm like, what What am I even – what is this? I like – I need to talk about baseball or something. Um, so it, it has been remarkable. Um, I, I do feel like there's a shift, which makes me like the batters that are in Major League Baseball right now. What we're seeing at the plate, these guys are better than ever. The, the fact that there's anybody totally hitting over 300 in the big leagues right now is insanity to me. And we're seeing these guys come up and play and like have a lot of success against pitchers that are better than we have ever seen. They've only continued to improve. You have, I mean, everybody has elite stuff. And the evolution over the course of, I'd probably say, starting a decade ago to where we are right now has been unbelievable. And it is a lot of fun to watch them pitch. It's a lot of fun to see how batters adjust. Um, but yeah, like I said, those 92 mile an hour sliders is why I'm here right now. <laughs> yeah. And, and watching, uh, yesterday, the, the Miami Marlins pitcher come out with 93 mile an hour changeups that have just the wicked movement, uh, down and away to left-handed hitters was astonishing. Uh, and that brings me to talking about we're a third of the way through the season. We're almost at 60 games and everybody starts coming out with their projections. Who's going to win the, the MVP, who's going to be the batting title. But I want to talk to you about the stay on the pitching side and talk about the American league Cy Young. Young Award because your brother is amazingly, after a Tommy John surgery, the last game he pitched was at opening day of 2020, that COVID year, and here he is, the last full season he had, he won the Cy Young in 2019, and after the Tommy John, he is now competing for the American League Cy Young. He, he is the first eight-game winner, the only eight-game winner, I believe, as we speak, and uh, he's leading in innings pitched. I didn't know that was going to happen. I know there was a lot of concern. How are they going to protect his right arm? His whip, I don't think I've ever seen your brother with a whip over one, to be honest with you. <laughs> and uh, and, and hitter, he has a second-best batting average against uh, him at 177. Uh, talk a little bit about the AL Cy Young. Start with your brother, and then tell me a little bit about your brother. And how Are you, are you surprised at what he's been able to do post-Tommy John surgery? Well, I think... What I really try and do is just step back and understand what's happening. Um, just hearing you say those numbers, you know, leading the league with eight wins, you know, his ERA is minuscule and has, you know, some of the most innings pitched in baseball. And it's like, the, it doesn't make sense almost. It's like, okay, we, he, we need to step back and realize like those numbers are, the best of the best for a guy that has been pitching and is in his prime. Um, and I'm not going to say Justin's not in his prime because who knows when his prime has been in his career. It's been the consistent the entire way through. But it truly is remarkable that he went through what he went through, had TJ, comes back after two years and is doing this. And 
I think, and, and him and I talked about this a good bit throughout the process, I think it ended up being a blessing in disguise that it happened when it did. Not that you ever want TJ to happen, mm-hmm. but the fact that it happened in that COVID year um, and, and then it was like fringy, like could he come back for the playoffs for the World Series? Could he push it? And then he didn't, which was clearly the right move. It would have, you know, yeah. pitching in the playoffs is a different beast. Um, and so then he had that offseason to treat like it was any normal offseason, you know. So the timing of it ended up working out really well, I think, in hindsight and allowed him to ramp up like normal, have a normal offseason and then experience spring training and obviously had to get over different hurdles along the way and still has even up until his start the other day on, on normal oh, right. rest on, on five yep. days. Um, so he's just completed to check off hurdles throughout the the whole way. But, you know, to say that I knew this would happen, I mean, I, I had a, a show early in the year that I did. I named like who I thought would be the top 10 pitchers in baseball. And I put Justin on there and people were like, you're insane. You're just so biased. And I'm like, no, you know what? I truly believe it because – I've seen what he's done in his entire career. If you're ever going to bet against the guy, you're just not very smart. And I've seen his work ethic throughout this whole process. And um, not to say everybody else isn't working hard. It's just a little different, in my opinion. He's built different. And to see him come back and do what he has done is, it makes me really happy. It makes me really proud. Um, I'm so proud of him. And um, to see him do what he's doing, it, it just it just makes me really happy. And uh, to hear his name in, in the Cy Young conversation to this point is really cool. And I wouldn't bet against him on winning it, which is really cool. You know, you obviously have the other guys out there that are doing incredible things. What Nestor Cortez has done this year is so cool. Real. I, I think it's so cool because, you know, we talked about those guys for – 10 minutes that are throwing a hundred with 92 mile an hour wipeout stuff. And he's not that guy. He just throws from 92 different arm slots and he's yeah. getting big league guys out. Um, so he's been so much fun to watch. There's certainly plenty of guys in that conversation, but uh, it makes me really happy. And uh, really, it, I feel really happy about the fact that Justin's even in that conversation. Uh, I am too, because obviously it makes our broadcast so much better. It makes every (laughs) every five days for me when he's on the mound very easy to speak to when we're broadcasting his games. But we had a chance to sit down and and eat dinner before a game out in Anaheim. And you, your brother was pitching that day, and you say that you you were nervous that day. Is that a is that an every start occurrence for you to be nervous when he's out there, or are you kind of over the nervousness now and just enjoying what he's doing? Um, I'm, I'm not a lot of fun to be around when Justin's pitching. Uh, I, I, I sit in the exact same spot on the couch or no matter what I'm doing, I just like to be alone and in my moment. And, uh, him and I have talked about this before. Cause when I was playing, obviously he wasn't able to come watch me in pro ball a lot, but there were a couple of times where he could watch or watch me on, on TV or the computer or whatever it may be. And he said that he gets, so nervous watching me play more so than him really and it's the same for me just because i I don't have any control on what he does i want him to do so well and i i i don't have a fingerprint on it so i can just sit back and watch i'm like i hope he does well whereas if i'm playing if i go 0 for 4 well guess what that's my fault and i shouldn't Mm -hmm. have swung at that pitch 
with him, it's just like I want him to succeed so bad, especially this year coming back from everything he has and to prove to everybody what he's going to do. Um, but it's been like this the whole career, so I don't even know what I'm saying this year. It's uh, you know I I watch games and I am just a nervous wreck the whole time, no matter where I am. And um, you know, thankfully this year he's made it easy on me so far. Yeah, he's been a blast. I, I get that. Wait until you have kids. That's what I can't wait for. You want the <laughs> ultimate, like no control and hoping for the best is watching your kids go out there and play. So you're already in that mode. But uh, you, you had a, you had an interesting tweet a couple of weeks ago, and I think you were watching the broadcast. Uh, I want to dig in this a little bit because it, you know there's old school mentalities, there there's new school mentalities, there's unwritten rules. But a couple of weeks ago, the Astros are finishing up their series in Kansas City. Uh, Ryan Presley comes into the game, the closer for the Astros. He's, he's trying to get at Michael A. Taylor for maybe some retribution for a couple of hit-by-pitches to Jeremy Pena. They obviously threw at Jordan Alvarez because they didn't want to know part of him in that series because he was hitting tanks everywhere. And uh, I, I lost my mind. That was my bit of, I mean, I've lost my mind a couple of times on broadcast, but that one really got me when Vic Carapaza came out from behind home plate and, 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 and inserted himself into the game, so to speak. And... I want you sent out a tweet saying it was ridiculous too. I want to know get get into your head a little bit. What did you see and what was the emotion that created you wanting to send out that tweet? So one, I think it's important to state that it's not just that situation at this point. I, I think it's a culmination of a lot of different stuff that we've seen this year. And um, mm -hmm. you know, obviously not gonna call out any particular umpire. It just feels like as a whole. What we've seen is umpires um, putting a little more of their personality and their stamp on a game. And I really got to thinking about it. And I almost feel like over the course of the last two, three, four years, we've heard more and more and more about robot umpires and automated strike zone and more and more and more technology in the game. And I almost feel like umpires have taken it upon themselves to say, well, we're going to have to leave our mark on this game. And what it's done has been the complete polar opposite of what they're hoping for. It just, like, there's umpires all year we've been seeing it. What what we saw with Madison Bumgarner getting his, his hand checked and the umpire oh. just staring at him and throwing yep. him out of the game. An umpire almost charged the mound after Zach Gallen the other night. And then, like, the Ryan Presley situation was just a couple of days after that. And... You know, whether the situation was warranted or not, um, whether he was throwing at a guy, to me, it doesn't really matter. Umpires need to understand the situation they're in and that the game's not about them. People didn't buy a ticket at Kaufman to show up and watch Vic call a game. They just didn't. <laughs> so what you need to realize is, okay, if, if we have this situation here, I might need to talk to the other umpires. I should call them to me. I shouldn't start walking out towards the mound, call time, walk totally out agree. towards him, be a couple steps in front of the mound, have this meeting right in front of him. It's just the way that they're going about things this year. And there's a lot of egos involved, a lot of putting their stamp on a game. And it's the it's the saying as old as time, you know, if if you know an umpire's name, he's probably not doing <laughs> things right. And and it, it it's true. And I'm actually not for yet completely robot umpires. Um, I'm, I'm not asking umpires to be perfect. I never have been. I think it's a part of the game having them. But what I'm asking for is one, just to keep their 
um, their ego and their mentality and their, you know, aggressiveness out of it. And just to be held accountable for things. I mean, I, I, I don't love seeing umpires and, and I do think it's important to say, I, I don't think they need to be perfect. I don't think they should be. Nobody is. It's part of the game of baseball. But over time, when you're consistently bad, look, if as a player, when I was consistently bad, I was released or I was sent down. What umpires need that as well. I think for the credibility of the game of baseball to keep growing the game of baseball, you need the best of the best umpires in the big leagues and the ones that aren't performing well to be sent down or to be let go. And I really don't think that's too much to ask for. And uh, especially, though, just to keep their uh, mentality and to keep their stamp off of the field during a game, I think is important. No, I completely agree, and I, I'm I'm with you as as far as the strike zone is concerned. And I, you know, there does need to be everything that we do in life. Anything that you've done in school, you got a bad grade on, you had to go make the adjustment and fix that paper or retake that test to 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 get the grade to qualify to be where you wanted to be or get the grade that you wanted. And it's the same way moving up from level to level. It's not you know, it's not uh, I'm going to wait out all the Joe Wests or Bruce <laughs> Frimmings. You know, I can't wait for them to leave before I get called up. I've got to earn the right to get called up. So right. I think you're right in the sense that there should be an evaluation system. I know they're all over social media, but they are, they're legit getting evaluated. Why isn't there a trigger in there that says, once you drop below a, a certain strike rate, or you have X amount of calls that have been reviewed that right. you don't go back and get, uh, you know, get, get clean up the mess a little bit so that you can be better. Isn't that the idea in life just to be better? Uh, the other day, this is probably a month or so now, but I believe it was the I believe it was a game in Philly. It was like a primetime game in Philly. And the umpire, I, it was actually Angel Hernandez. Shocking. <laughs> he his he missed like the most amount of calls of anybody in the year. It was like it was awful. And the like umpire scorecard came out the next day. That mm -hmm. that account that does that is incredible. Um, but it comes out and he had missed like so many calls and like I feel like he missed like 30% of the calls or something like that. And then that comes out. It's all over social media. And baseball, Major League Baseball came out that night or that day and was like, well, actually, um, we give umpires two inches on every side of the plate. And I'm like, wait, wait a minute. This is the first we're ever hearing of this. Since the plate is 17 inches, like we're not giving, if we're, are we giving two inches on every side? Is it a 21 inch plate all of a sudden? That would have been nice to know when I was playing. <laughs> uh, it's like, what, what is happening with like, we're not just going to, and instead of like holding them accountable, they're sticking up for them in situations that even they probably are like, yeah, you probably shouldn't stick up for me after that game. <laughs> and it's like, they don't need to be perfect. They just need to be a little better sometimes. And, and I feel like that's okay to say. I'm amazed to to hear that they were giving two inches off each side because that that feels extreme, and they, they, you know hitters are good enough to recognize those two inches. Why shouldn't umpires be good enough to recognize those two? Absolutely, inches, right? I remember playing and I'd take a pitch that you know at a certain point you know we we know the strike zone we understand oh, yeah. it. Once you get to a certain level, we know it better than the umpire knows it because <laughs> they haven't they haven't played as long as we have, but they have a different angle, obviously. But I would take a pitch two, three, four inches off the plate, I would know it's off. I'd get called, you know, get called out and I'd say that ball's off the plate. If I had to hear one more time, that's a good pitch, Ben, I would, I'm going to lose my mind. I don't care if it's a good pitch. Sure, it's a good pitch. It's not a strike. 
And it just seems like far too long and far too often if a catcher just frames a ball. It can even be like a little league flame, frame job. <laughs> they're getting they're getting it called a strike. And uh, it it is what it is, but I know I need to I need I know I need to tone it down with umpires. I remember last year I was Justin was like, "Hey man, I still got to come back and pitch." And I'm like, right, let's just hope they're not on social media too much. Oh man, that's hilarious. Yeah, hopefully they aren't because it, none of it's going to be good. They already hear it from the fans in the stands. I can't imagine going home and trying to pull up my phone and seeing how many alerts I've got talking about my strike zone. Oh god. Um, so we're a little Astro-centric on here, and I saw your last podcast uh, that you had a chance to talk to Jeremy Pena. He's already impressed us with what he's done on the field, and I like who he is as, as a human when he when he's uh, on the field and talking to him. Give me give the Astro fans an idea of your impression of Jeremy Pena and how that how that interview went. Well, one, I, I think he's just so um, mature for his yeah. age, and you know, I I presented it to him this way. I said. Jeremy, nobody knows better about filling big shoes or trying to than I do. How how have you done it? And, you know, it, it's it's really cool to hear how he's gotten here. And, you know, he was very open and said he, in spring training, it, it was it was more difficult than it is now. You know, I put a lot of pressure on myself. Um, but to hear along the way, and this is a credit to the entire team, uh, you know, to ask him who – who has mentored you? Who's taken you under their wing on this team that is full of stars and has been to you know consecutive ALCSs and a bunch of World Series? And his answer was everybody. Uh, and and I think that's a credit to the entire team. It's a credit to him for being a guy that is okay. I, I'm the new one here. I have a lot to learn. I'm going to listen to all of these guys. I'm not going to stick my head in the sand and say, you know what, I'm here for a reason. I'm taking over Carlos's spot. I'm better than Carlos Correa. I'm going to prove it. He's done the opposite of that, and I think that's a big reason of why he's having the success he is. He's learned so much from Jose Altuve, and he said it. He said, I, I've, I've learned something different from every single player. And he, he said that Altuve, the first game of the year, the first day of the year, told him, he just said, hey, just remember, this is a marathon, not a sprint. Put your head down, put in the work, and you'll be fine. And we saw that pay off immediately. I mean, he goes 0 for 4 in the first game, or 0 for whatever. And, you know, it's easy for anybody, much less a rookie, to let that ball get down, to go on a mm -hmm. skid. And he ended up coming out that next day and had three knocks, hit a homer, um, and, and was incredible. And, and I think it's a big testament to him and how much he's willing to learn from everybody else around him that he knows the success that they've had. And to see him be as good as he has been, man, it's been it's been really cool because uh, he's doing it for all the people that have had big shoes to fill. That's for sure. I mean, he even had a dad in the big leagues, you know, that's know. not easy. Um, so it, it's been awesome to watch him this year, offensively and defensively. No, he, he has been an absolute blast. You're doing a great job. Ben Verlander, uh, tell everybody who's listening to this podcast how they could find you and tell them all about your Pump your podcast, whatever it takes. Let them know how to get a hold of you because we, I had a great time talking with you. And I look forward to you know continuing this friendship as we get more out to the of West course. Coast here towards the end of the season. But uh, yeah. thank you very much, Ben Verlander. Tell everybody how to find you. Of course. Well, one, I'd, I'd love to be on anytime, man. This has been a blast. But uh, yeah, I'm with I'm with Fox Sports now. I have my my show called Flipping Bats with Ben Verlander. It's a podcast. It's a, it's on video as well on YouTube and stuff. But it's Flipping Bats Pod wherever you listen to your podcasts, and it truly is just about growing 
the game of baseball. I think for a long time, the way baseball was portrayed was just stale. Um, the same old, like, um, you know, just running through the motions of how you talk about the game. And the game started to evolve on the field and started to become a lot more exciting. And players were becoming more exciting and taking to social media like we talked about. So my show is just all about highlighting that, highlighting the game of baseball, talking about how fun it is, showcasing players in the best possible light, talking about players that deserve it, not just, you know, not just the top tier teams and, you know, the Aaron judges of the world that certainly deserve to be talked about, but other players that deserve it, like Jeremy Pena, like you just mentioned, like Kyle Tucker last year when I had him on my show um, and he ended up doing what he did. So that sort of stuff is important. Growing the game of baseball is important to me. So yeah, it's Flipping Bats Pod anywhere you listen to your podcast. Appreciate you, Ben. Thanks for everything, man. Talk to you soon. Of course, man. Thanks for having me. I do appreciate it. And that's something that we've always talked about umpires. Like if a well-umpired game or a well-officiated game is to mean anything, we don't know who they are. We don't know that they were there. Um, I will use Major League Baseball, or I'm sorry, Major League Baseball. I will use the NBA as kind of the the marker for that, I, I don't watch a lot of NBA basketball during the season, but as you guys know, I'm a Warriors fan, and I was just blown away at the uh, the officiating in these finals is fantastic. Now, they really narrow it down. There's only about, I think, six to eight refs that get the uh, NBA finals, and they are fantastic. I mean, they take charge of the game. They know when to go to video. They make the call. They stick by it. They give a technical when they're being pushed, but I mean, I've, I've just been really impressed by the NBA referees. I don't know enough about the NBA game, and maybe uh, somebody could, um, I guess, counteract what I'm saying. But when I watch those games, I feel like they're not trying to be the center of the attention, uh, the center of attention. They are taking charge of the game, and there hasn't been a lot, as you probably know, in these first five games of the NBA Finals, a lot of controversy around how the officiating has gone. And I think baseball, gosh, I know there are a lot more games, but it seems like every night and certainly every week, there's, you know, a controversy here, a controversy there. And uh, it just doesn't seem to be um, headed in the right direction. So I think as umpires remove themselves from the situation, maybe have some sort of a rating system or a scouting system that will get better. Uh, And then lastly today, guys, I mean, it's not a Waddle Tuttle say, but we talked about the, uh, the team fantasy names. Uh, let me find the one that my brother started sending me. We're going to try and come up with a team fantasy name every time. Feast or Famine, P-H-A-M-I-N-E. Uh, family Therapy, that's a good one. And then, ah, somebody sent me this one. If Famder Holyfield. So that's a stretch, but I think that one's good. And I'll leave you with Famine Cheese Sandwich. So Blummer, you didn't give me any of those... Uh, Tommy Pham fantasy football names, but there's a couple for you. Great conversation with Ben Verlander. I love the fact that he said he would be willing to come back on. So I guarantee you maybe halfway through the season, we'll get back at Ben Verlander and have him on the show. He has a great conversation. He's got some good insight. He's very articulate. I love the way he explains how the umpires are inserting themselves and how they possibly be able to to adjust and make them be better. Because if they're better, it's better for the game. And uh, what we're trying to do here is be better on this Bleacher Blums podcast. And a lot of the reason we're able to do this is because we are grateful for the military, both home and abroad, doing what they're doing, 
protecting us, keeping us safe, giving us the freedom to come on this podcast and talk a little bit about sports and life and how much we enjoy the game of baseball. Also, first responders, the EMTs, the the doctors, the nurses, the fire fire persons, the police persons that go out there into harm's way and keep us healthy and safe, all the essential workers keeping the doing the best they can to keep those uh, shelves supplied and keeping this country going. And of course, teachers, we know that you do a great job during the school season. If you're teaching summer school, God bless you. And if you are enjoying the the summer, enjoy the summer, soak it up, and get ready for that upcoming year. But uh, we appreciate everybody who listens to this podcast. Again, you can get to myself at Blummer27 on Twitter and on Instagram. You can get to Tuttle at Real David Tuttle on Twitter and on Instagram. Until then, you know what to do. Please, if you're over the age of 45, get screened for colorectal cancer. Get after it and believe it. Just let the the game has a funny way of working itself out. It really does. If he threw at his head, you know what? Throw him out immediately, suspend him. But that didn't happen, and he didn't even hit him. It's like, just <laughs> just chill. Chill. We we will get through this together. Mahalo.